1: Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today we'll be presenting an episode recorded with photographer Stephen Wilkes and his producer and life partner, Betty Wilkes, about their incredible 10-year photo odyssey taking pictures for Stephen's signature Day to Night photo series. But before we get into that, we want to take a moment to recognize the passing of a few photographers, including at least in our minds, a couple of legends. About two weeks ago, we heard about the death of fashion photographer Peter Lindbergh, known mostly for his black and white work in the 80s and 90s that defined the era of supermodels. Peter's work eschewed unnecessary gloss in favor of stark images that showed beauty in all its forms. He was also sought after by musicians and filmmakers, including shooting album covers for Tina Turner, Jane Birkin, and Beyoncé. Just yesterday, it was announced that photographer, musician, and musicologist John Cohen passed away. In addition to founding the New Lost City Ramblers, John recorded traditional folk music and photographed musicians including Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie. He is also one of the most important documentarians of the abstract expressionist art movement and writers from the Beat Generation. Last week, we also learned of the passing of Canadian photographer Fred Herzog. Herzog was a medical photographer, but his vibrant color street photography of Vancouver and the Pacific Northwest in the 1950s and 60s is what calls our attention today. He was a pioneer of the artistic use of color photography. Finally, on September 9th, the photo world lost the master, Robert Frank, who died in Nova Scotia. Like Herzog, who emigrated from Germany and is known for his work defining Canada, Frank came to the U.S. from Switzerland in the 1950s and blew the doors off documentary photography with his book The Americans. It's hard to underestimate the influence this book has had on generations of photographers, including everyone in this room. And if you're not familiar with the book, find a copy and enjoy it. Not one to rest on past success, Frank was also a filmmaker and an artist who continued to push the photographic boundaries throughout his life. Take the time to look up these four greats. Last week, we were fortunate enough to be invited to the Bryce Wolkowitz Gallery for the opening of the print exhibit of Day to Night, as well as the book launch. If you cannot make it to New York before October 26th to see these massive and amazingly gorgeous prints, do yourself a favor and find the book published by Taschen. It's also massive and equally gorgeous, just not quite as expensive as the $100,000 prints. <laughs> I got a copy. It is stunning. In April of 2018, we welcomed Stephen and Betty to our studio to discuss the making of this project, which I think is fair to say employed production efforts on the scale of an epic film, locations in the Serengeti, Times Square, and Shanghai, as well as in national parks and abandoned islands. To create even one image as complex of these would be impressive, but they have shot in all corners of the world, producing an unrivaled collection of photographs that brings a new perspective not only to the locations they photograph, but to the idea of time itself. We also discussed the photographic elements from workflow to gear to post-process. Join us for this in-depth and enjoyable conversation and check out Day to Night, the book from Tashin, and the gallery series at Bryce Wolkowitz in New York City. Okay, so here we are, and here's Stephen and Betty Wilkes. Today's topic is the a series of photographs that you guys have been working on called uh, Day to Night. And it is ambitious to say the least. Um, just a fast intro. They're not time lapse. They're not time exposures. But they are a record of an entire day's activity in one location. Correct. Summarized in one photograph. And it is still a photograph, even though it's a collage, montage, however you want to describe it. But it's one photograph that takes in day to night, and it's amazing. Betty, you are the, um, the mechanism that makes all of this happen in this relationship. What are the seeds of this particular project? Where did it start, and where did what was the first photograph that you did in this series?
2: Well, the first photograph was uh, the High Line, and Stephen was asked to shoot that by um, the photo editor at New York Magazine, Jody Kwan. Mm-hmm. And um, she came to him, and, and we sit in our offices with our back to each other, and I hear him talking to her on the phone saying, God, Jody, I love the High Line during the day, but I also love it at night. What about if I did a, a picture for you where I, where I shot north to south and combined day to night in one photograph? And I'm listening to him, and he's going, I don't know, I don't know. And, 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 and he, he says, but I'm going to figure it out. And he hangs up, and I turn around, and I say... How are you going to do that? Because I don't know, but I am going to figure it out. But were, did. Were,
3: were you immediately thinking production as soon as he asked that? Was I that was that?
2: immediately <laughs> thinking, oh my god, what, 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 what are we going to do here? How, how am I going to get him permission to now, be where is, he is wants to be?
1: Is it fair to say you already had this stuff bubbling in your head for a while? Because you don't just volunteer to do something like that unless you got something cooking back there.
0: I, I think there's a. It's funny. First of all, I could never even come up with that idea if I didn't have. My wife, Betty, who's just such an amazing partner in terms of she takes care of so many of the aspects of the business that allow me to sort of float like that creatively, you know, and uh, and it's that's a, gift, a huge you know, thing. It's a, a great gift, gift, no question about <laughs> it. So yeah, I, I get to float. And sometimes when I float, um, things like this happen where I get this intersection. Um, and for me, it was, it was a, a thing that happened when I was um, years ago, 19, it was, I guess, 16 years ago when I did a photograph for Life Magazine of Baz Luhrmann's film, uh, Romeo and Juliet. And it was there where the idea or the concept of of actually creating time change in an image sort of um, jumped out at me. I was asked to do a panoramic photograph of the set of of the film with all the cast and crew. And it was – essentially I was paying homage to the old uh, big pictures that Life Magazine used to do. Mm -hmm. And when I got to uh, Mexico to do this photograph – and I'm all set to do a big wide picture – the set is a square, and I'm like, how am I going to make a, th- you know, three-page gatefold out of a square? And at the time, David Hockney was doing this really exciting, uh, the photo collage technique where he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, shooting multiple images and then pasting them together. And I was inspired by that. And I thought, wait a second, I could kind of do that kind of an idea. I could, t- instead of taking one picture, I'll take like 250 images of the entire set. And I essentially took the square and I opened it into a panoramic shape. And in the process of making that photograph, I had Claire Danes and Leonardo in the in the center of the photograph. And I had them embracing as Romeo and Juliet. And you see everybody, the cast and crews behind them. And then as I panned my camera and started taking multiple images, there was a huge mirror uh, literally on the on the set, and in that mirror you could see a perfect reflection of Claire and Leonardo and the cast and crew as well. And I asked just for that one photograph. I said, "Could everybody stay exactly as you are, except Claire and Leonardo? I want you guys to kiss for this one photograph." And then I came back to New York and I put this thing together over like seven days. It was a I have such respect for Hockney. I never want to do that again. <laughs> but um, I actually looked at the finished composite images, this collage I'd created. And I changed time. I had them embracing in the center and in the reflection they were kissing. And that idea of actually changing time in a photograph is where that actually was seated. And I just, you know, again, never wanted to do a giant collage like that again. But suddenly this advent of Photoshop and the idea of technology um, allows me really now to sort of take that idea and that concept, that dream in a way and bring it to reality in a seamless way.
3: That image you shot uh, on film or in- That was all shot film. That was all shot Yeah, film. yeah, color It was like print
0: five, seven-inch
3: yeah, prints just yeah. all laid I was down shooting,
0: uh, you know, it was a six-by-seven format, and I just literally, you know, literally shot- you know, hundreds of images, and then I got giant, <laughs> giant contact sheets made, and I hand cut them myself. And ah, you know, I actually okay. have the test that I did. I did it with the, initially with a Polaroid to see if it could even work conceptually, and then and did that. But it was one of those things. That's to me what's interesting is um, how ideas sort of evolve. And you know, even though that was uh, so many years ago when I did that, um, suddenly I, I I got this assignment and I I started to look at the Highline and realized I. You know, it was really my frustration in the fact that I loved it both times a day and couldn't decide which one I liked better. <laughs> and so by, by, by sheer, the force of like nature, I just figured, well, wait a second, why can't I do both? And that's kind of where it came from. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So you you say, okay, I'm doing it. You hang up the phone and you're sitting there back to back and you say, okay, now what am I doing? So
2: what'd you do? Well, you know, <laughs> this first one, the Highline was um, less... He- production heavy than many of the others only because we were so naive about what we were doing. Stephen went out, he scouted it, and funny enough one You of wouldn't the-
1: have taken the assignment if you knew it was involved. Naivety is <laughs> sometimes a blessing.
2: Um, y- <laughs> yes. But the, the crazy thing is, and I don't know if you remember this antidote, um, but uh, the crazy thing is one of the guys that owned one of the buildings that he wanted to shoot from ended up to be one of his collectors. At the time, that didn't exist, but further right. on down the road, which is which When was I wanted funny, to shoot
0: from his rooftop, it was like, no,
2: yeah, I don't no. really <laughs> want you. And then he
0: ends up becoming a collector
1: of my work, which is really so. Funny, yeah. It's okay, let them refuse every yeah, time. Right. Like that. That's okay. Yeah.
2: But yeah. So for that one, we we have a long-standing relationship with um, one of the uh, equipment companies up in uh, Mount Vernon, who knows Stephen loves to shoot from, you know, a great big lift. And I called him and I said, what do you got? What's going to fit? You know, and they're like, okay. But I said, but Sam, we need it for, you know, about 24 hours. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah. So this particular lift truck wasn't, you know, your favorite truck.
0: Yeah, it wasn't my 170-foot Condor. That's my preferred choice. So we didn't have such a hard time clearing I, I liked, it. I you guess so you myself. didn't want to talk gear. I re- actually really want one of those. I want to put it like a toilet in one. I like <laughs> like a, you know, a cappuccino machine. you
2: sort of <laughs> well, was a, there a, for 36 hours. 36 hours. I like nice. this guy new. Yeah. <laughs> so from my perspective, this one wasn't as challenging because I was able to get the permission. The streets, at that time, the High Line was still under construction. There wasn't that, a, a big... Problem getting the my tourist permit. Tourists didn't discover it yet. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't that big a deal. But when we moved on to um, the Flatiron, that became a huge, a huge uh, production, and that happened because um, some months before we were on assignment in Times Square, photographing the Jumbotron. There is it a Jumbotron? Am I saying it right? The, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was for a particular client, and we had the 170-foot Condor out there, and. He's up, you know, 70 feet in the air shooting, everything's going great, and all of a sudden this big black car shows up, and it's the executive director of the mayor's film and broadcasting office, and he says to me, what are you doing? And it was freezing out, so I was sitting in the car, and I said, I have my permit He goes, he said, if I could pull you out by your hair right now, I would. It's a vaulted sidewalk. He's going to fall right through. And I was like, really? And he's like, yes. And I said, well, we've been here before. We've done this before. He's like, let me see. So he goes around, and he looks around, and we, and. He, and it ended up that we really hit it off. We got the shot. We became friends through the whole thing. He said, is he also a
1: collector now? Sort of.
2: <laughs> His wife has one of one of our pieces. This is the flat iron pieces actually, and um, and we he he saw that you know we were really serious about what we were doing, and I was able to work it all out with him, and so I went back to him and I said, look, we we want to do the flat iron, and he said, I, you know, what, we're not doing this without the DOT. He said, meet me down downtown. It'll be me and the DOT and we got to walk through this and we got to walk it off and see if it's really feasible.
3: From the, the, the Highline shot, which was uh, an assignment from a magazine. Right. Did they continue in that fashion as assignments? Uh, and then wh- what's the time frame we're talking about from, from the Highline to Times Square and then to Flatiron and when did you know it was going to be more than just one shot? And well, what happened
0: was they, they, uh, they came to us, uh, at New York Magazine again, came to me, uh, and Jody and said, uh, and this is kind of a funny story, too. Our son had got accepted to NYU, and so we were going for a, you know one of those uh, uh, briefings, and uh, we were up at the top of the Kimmel Center, mm-hmm. and you know when I get sort of visually enchanted by something, it's as if the entire world turns off, so I have no focus other than what I'm looking at. It was at. the
2: parent orientation. Yes.
0: Yeah, the parent orientation. So- Betty is like, I'm and, looking... And Betty's the parent, right? Betty's yes. the parent. And I'm, I'm looking out the window. <laughs> and and they, going, they separate you. So oh the my kids God. go in
2: one room and the parents go in the other. And he's with the kids. I'm looking and at this like, view of
0: Washington Square Park, and I've never seen this view before. And I'm like, this is yeah, so incredible. It is a great, I've been up there. And, yeah, and, so and, <laughs> and Betty's like, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you listening? <laughs> and so we walk out of literally this meeting, and uh, my phone rings. And it's Jody. And she says, we want you to do another one of those day-to-night things. How about vertical? Could you do a vertical one? And I'm like going, boy, do I have the location. (laughs) And it was, that's how Washington Square literally happened. I walked out of the building, I got a phone call, and that's uh, how the second one evolved. And I think then the second one, we showed uh, actually at the APAD photography show, and uh, I never, I think we both of us never saw a reaction to um, any of my photographs like that picture sort of drove. And it was at that moment that I kind of realized I'd you know, really, kind of stepped into something, uh, and and we began to really talk about um, creating a body of work on New York on with this concept and this idea. And that's kind so of without, without off going York. off too so really, far on yeah. the
1: side. I, I, I have to say that there are many, many amazing photographs in this world, especially these days when everyone's taking pictures. But what's unique about this series of pictures is that you have to stop and look at them because it's more than just a pretty picture or an amazing image. It's something that as you're looking at it, you realize that there's no way you can see this in any other form except in this in a, photograph exactly it, but you it know it uh, exists a really
0: new way you know for me it's what's exciting about it is and i think one of the things that happened to me personally one of the drivers to create this this idea was uh, you know at 2000 uh, in the year 2000 everybody was talking about like film was going to become the dominant visual uh, idea that we'd all look at, you know, that was going to be the form that still photography was somehow going to be, you know, go the way of the, the Gutenberg Bible or something, you know, right, it was right. just like, it was going to be <laughs> commoditized. Photography chemistry. is yeah. right. Photography's kind of dead. Yeah. And that was the, and people were actually saying it, that video is it. Everything's video. We see in video, we dream in video, it's all video. And I took such offense to that because I felt like, wait a second, this is, we have this digital technology. Now it's a whole new way of thinking. And I started to start to to, to realize that I wanted to sort of create something photographically that show in a way that this is just the beginning of where still photography can go, that there's a whole new, you know, with these two new tools, um, we don't, we're not limited to a single image anymore, a single moment. Why does it have to be that way? Photography has always been an evolution and, and that's kind of the way I've always thought about it. And Now that said these photographs, each mm-hmm. individual photograph contains
1: up to two thousand elements from or elements from 2000 photographs is that correct or no
0: Well no we, I will shoot anywhere from 1200 to 2200 images okay. to do one day tonight and it's wh- what's important to note is you said it's not a time lapse this is me handcocking a traditional large format lens and taking 2200 single photographs yes. moments that I see with my eye right so I I'm it's all done in the most traditional of manners. What's different is I'm capturing the image in a very high-resolution digital back, and then it's what I do, what we do on the back end. And the, way, the combination of the way I photograph and the way we put the image together in post allows me to really, and you, the viewer, to experience what was essentially um, my memory of that day.
2: Any edits that the twenty two hundred or the fifteen hundred into fifty selects yeah, about, you know, about on 50. average about fifty. Yeah. Now
3: Can you I, you
1: also mentioned that you start hmm. off uh, um, one of the images you have to have one of your base images that we've described. There's no people in it; It has to be empty.
0: Yeah. What we try How to do, you do is do that? it's called a- sometimes, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's called a uh, we call it I describe it as what I call a naked plate based on yes, time. Yes. Okay. So what I do is I, I uh, as I photograph for every moment you see in my photographs, I have moments where I consciously don't have any people in that area so i'm trying to in my mind, I'm creating a naked plate. So people say to me, how do you even pay attention for 36 hours, let alone like you can't watch TV. Most people can't watch TV for more than five hours, you know? So, but I'm hyper-focused in this thing. And it's because it's literally a a real-time puzzle that's going on in my mind as I, as I photograph. So I'm, I'm, I'm not only seeing what's in front of me based as time changes, my eye moves as time changes, but I'm also thinking about, do I have that naked plate? Do I have a piece where no people are in that part of the area? Do I have the sky? Do, can I transition? Where are the transitions happening? Do I have, you know, when I'm shooting crowd shots, I'm actually waiting, you know, people it's, I'm not only just getting the moment, I get the moment when the actual crowd breaks, you know? And so it's literally like that type of thing. I'm almost like a surgeon, um, hyper focused on all of the elements that I need because I know in the end, if I don't have those elements, we can't really execute this. How in are you post. keeping track of all? Because this there's, there's these are, are,
1: are amazingly complex pictures that take in a wide field of view, while mm. wide angle of view. And as I said, just you're, you're up there for a day, literally, sometimes and you're more. watching or something more. Sometimes How more. do you keep track of all of these do you know that you have like this lower quadrant Clear of people, or I mean, are you yeah. I mean, notes it's it it is, all in your head. It's
0: all in my head. I don't talk to anybody except my assistant. I keep well, my it, assistant, and,
2: the, and he marks them. all. And he
0: marks them. You know, we have a very elaborate. Uh, I, it's a combination of a color system and uh, you know a number system that allows me, based on time, uh, to know exactly where I am at any given moment. And the beautiful thing about what I do is, you know, I shoot for eighteen hours, but the entire when I edit, it's all based on time, right? So I kind of know where I am. Um, depending oh, yeah. on where I start my edit. You know, you could literally, you know, with my work, you can sort of sit and just kind of just, you know, cruise through, you know, keep the, the space bar down and just fly through all the images, and you can actually see time change in my foot, pho- Right, so that's what I'm doing. But my eye is moving as time moves. So I, the, the critical element in this whole thing is I have to um, really decide where day begins and night ends, and that's what I call a time vector. And in my photographs, if you look closely... My vector can go on an x-axis, a y-axis, or even a z-axis. And so um, essentially I'm, I'm really taking the concept of the space-time continuum, what I, Einstein described, right, as a fabric, uh, what time is, you know, and, and how this fabric gets warped by gravity. I take – the fabric of time. That's so. I see time as a grid as well and a fabric, except I flatten it onto a two-dimensional single piece,
3: you know, a film. And ha- these I- ideas that you're you're discussing, and even even the process. At what stage did these ideas come to you? Was this there as a seed from the beginning, or are these ideas that you developed over these? 10, well, the, 15 the, years? the
0: the the exploration of like the the space-time continuum actually happened. I had done a, f- a few of these, and uh, I. I was reading the book on Einstein, and when the word fabric was brought up in, in the book, I I suddenly had this light went on my head because I see time as a grid like that, like a fabric. A wrinkle in and time. A right? wrinkle time. Yeah. So I was almost um, in a strange way intuitively just seeing it that way. I was seeing time that way in my photographs. And then I, as I, I started to evolve the work and explore this idea of a time vector – I started to realize that if I could move time um, not only on one axis but on two axis and, in fact, three axis points, suddenly I could change your perception of, uh, of depth in a photograph. And what I describe as a, what's most interesting, I think, is the color of light in my photographs. When you look at the color in my pictures, you know, people come into the into galleries and my shows and they look at the images and they go, wow, what's he doing with the color? I'm not doing anything with the color. You're seeing the color of light change over a 12 hour period in a single photograph. And so our brains are wired where if, you know, we're in this room now and we turn on a red light and there's no other light on, after about five or 10 minutes, you know, Alan, you're gonna look neutral to me. You're not gonna look red. We have auto white balance. Yeah, right, auto, exactly. We (laughs) wanna see, that's what it is. (laughs) We neutralize it. We neutralize everything. You can't go neutral in my photographs. So in a way, color for me, in my photographs, the color of light becomes almost like a musical score in a film, it adds a, a, a. I've discovered that there's a real powerful narrative in the ability to change the color
3: of light over time. And there's so many questions. I wanted to jump back just to mention one thing. And, and you talk about music, but and and you talk about viewing the photos. I have viewed these photos like I view a painting at time, like a like a yes. like a large. Mm-hmm. Uh, Landscape, but even more so, some of the old masters, where you're taking a, a quadrant and looking at it, and then checking out another aspect, and then trying to put them all together. You, you, I look at it differently than I do most photos.
0: Well, well, that's you know that's quite interesting because thank you. I, I um, you know, I see that's one of the most exciting aspects of where we can go now as photographers, um, is that we, you know, there's always was a great envy uh, what a painter could do right? Because a painter could interpret, could, could bring, and photography was this very accurate representation. What- You can't fix reality. You it's can't easy. fix reality. But now <laughs> what I'm able to do, and if you look at, uh, I'm a student of uh, painting and, uh, and art history. And uh, as I started to evolve my work and it, my, one of my first inspirations was uh, uh, Jan Brueghel the elder. And he really established for me, if you look at my day to night work, you can see the scale uh, of Bruegel in my in mm-hmm. my photographs, mm-hmm. you know, there's an uh, this concept of being able to actually see uh, and he- and feel the stories. Uh, the, one of the paintings that struck me when I was 14, I went to the museum, of the Metropolitan, uh, for the first time, and uh, I remember seeing the Harvesters for the first time, and it just changed my changed my life i I never saw a landscape like that and i remember walking up to the painting and actually just looking at all the stories that were going on within this painting and it was so uh, nuanced and yet even though i was capturing this entire breadth of the scene i could still feel almost the sweat coming off the brow of these individual guys working in this field i i there was a powerful narrative that was happening within the context of this epic landscape and so um That was something that inspired me. Another one was the the Great Hudson uh, River School painter uh, Albert Bierstadt. And Bierstadt, you know, his paintings. If you look closely at Hudson River School guys, they were they're recording light moving in a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look closely, the sun is not in one position in Uh those paintings, uh and there's a dimensionality in those paintings, and it's because light is moving. And so, you know, what I've essentially done is I'm exploring this idea of you know, uh, the way painters work, but I'm doing it in a very strict uh, sort of uh, regimen of based on time and capturing the changing of light, and we're working it on what I call a time vector. But that is enabling me to create a, a certain depth and a, a perception in a still photograph that we never could see before. Some,
1: something that uh, uh, came to mind when preparing for this uh, show was um, some years ago, Andy Warhol did a movie of the Empire State Building, where he set up a camera Empire. on the street, yeah. Empire, and he just hours. photographed yeah. the building for 24 hours. Right. Now, it's the most boring movie in existence, and most people would say it's a picture of nothing, but in fact, he was doing exactly what you were doing in a, in a certain sense of a static object, and it's not that there's nothing happening. Everything is happening. Light and texture are changing, clouds, everything's changing. You just don't see it, but. In your photographs, it's the same concept squeezed into one.
0: Right. I think, you know, many people have explored time. I mean, throughout history and and, and there's so many – dating back to the Renaissance, I've discovered, you know, painters that were creating panels that they were changing time within the context of an actual painting. Um, And so, you know, this is a a, a fascination, I think, with artists throughout history. And so uh, I'm just, uh, you know, evolving it photographically, really. But I think that there's – uh, people have described my work, it's like looking at a movie in a still photograph. Yeah, a um, yeah. You know, that that's kind of a very interesting way to look at it as well. It's, but,
2: but one thing to touch on that you sure. just said is that one of the beauties of this work is that many of our collectors will tell us they love walking by the picture every day because they see something different every time they mm-hmm. walk by it. And they love living with the work because it's always capturing their imagination and their interest. And I think that's, you know, really a beautiful thing about the work because the longer you stare at it, the more you see.
0: I mean, it is what I'm doing is... is, is um. I just don't know how many people have ever studied a place as long as I do mm. in a single day. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something about... Uh, although I'm not like shooting a year on one particular subject, I'm doing this intense study in one day. And, you know, my camera's in a fixed position. And so I basically... I'm at the mercy of whatever nature brings, right? Whether, you know, I have no idea who's going to show up. I have no idea what the weather's going to be like. I mean, we try to do our homework, but in the end, uh, I like to say I, I feel um, I like to have a certain level of unease when I work. It's like doing uh, this
1: show, actually. Like yeah. That's the way we approach it. No, I'm, I'm sure. Mark's exact phrase, I think. <laughs> there you yeah. Go. Yeah, uh, unease was,
3: comes up a lot on the show. I, uh, do me <laughs> fair,
1: I, uh, pl- And I hope the answer to this is yes, just to satisfy my own needs as a, as a creative. Please tell me you had dud days when it just did not work out.
3: Yeah, I have. I Thank mean, you. <laughs> but Thank you. I, I will say that <laughs> my percentage is pretty doggone high. I'm pretty lucky. When you're there in the spot taking the photo, are you, I don't want to say pre-visualizing, but are you thinking the narrative through? In, in, for example, the people on the ground, and what is this going, and, and then later in post, do you adjust the individuals on the ground or the animals in the case of uh, of nature photos? No, to, I, tr- I really, really try to be very strict
0: yeah. to where things happen based on time. That's really important to me. So the, the because, you know, when we're compositing these images, um, and, and I work with a, a brilliant retoucher who I've been you know I torture basically. but the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the idea really is is critical that we um, uh, you know in order to have an effect visually where you look at the work and it's seamless like that, um, if you're you know, moving and changing, you know what I mean, putting guys right and left in it, it it, it never looks right. It just doesn't. You know, you, you when you're in a space, lightwise and grounded in reality, it has a certain look The to one
3: it. that I, I yeah. keep thinking back is, uh, I guess it's Tunnel View, and there's a, a skateboarder that's down in the left corner jumping. He's kind of caught in the middle of the jump. Yeah. I, I, that that happened. yeah. Those were right? all. I mean, yeah, they, and that one look,
2: also. The, the guy throwing the baby, the up baby in the air. up in the air. Oh yeah. People <laughs> always comment on that. Yeah. And yeah, I, when, yeah, I remember yeah. when I first saw the tacos.
0: My crying. breath was taken away when I was watching him throw the baby That's up in the bad. air. I couldn't believe how high he was throwing oh, wow. that kid up in the air. <laughs> um, but well, those how are high are 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 were yeah. you? He trying. to Well, you know, I'm. I'm. He had a drone yeah, exactly. on exactly. I'm about forty feet up. I'm. I'm literally doing that picture from the top of the the actual tunnel, and I'm on a forty five degree. I can't even tell you how. Unbelievably challenging and difficult that photograph was to do. Now, by the way, that's
1: that's an interesting thing. Here you were on a fixed position, you're on terra firma, okay? A lot of these pictures were shot up in cherry pickers and cranes. You have to maintain a certain amount of stability, uh, not that you're dealing with pin re- uh, uh, registration here, because you do have a certain amount of liberties in post, but he's pretty much really, straight. Not really. It's got to really. be pin registered pretty okay, much. Okay, yeah. so that said, you're yeah. up there in a bucket with somebody else for over a day, hours, oh, yeah. okay? How do you maintain that stability? Because every time you're moving, you're
0: repositioning
1: well,
2: that's that, so, why he loves that Condor so yeah, much. Yeah, I, I
0: I always go with these gigantic machines, not because I need to go 170 feet in the air, but because I look for the ballast. The weight of the machine gives me the stability that I need. So if I get anything more than a 10-mile-an-hour gust, I'm out of business. So in other words, if so,
1: made-up made crane, this is the crane. This is the crane, up. right, right. <laughs> okay. But I, I would,
0: I mean, I, I, the, the, bigger, the, the bigger the beast, the more I like the, it. This particular crane stability. has
2: outriggers on yeah. it, which gives it a tremendous amount oh, yeah. of stability. Oh, okay. But there, there are times where we can't get that machine in. We just can't. And like on the inauguration, as an example.
0: Yeah, well, the inauguration, I mean, you you hit on something. I I was, uh, you know, we got special permission from the president himself at the time of uh, Obama's inauguration, 2013. And uh, we... uh, where I was able to get a, a scissor lift in there. That's the only thing they'd let me use. Because it and had to be
2: pre-cleared. It had to be pre-cleared. Sure, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so
0: they they got me this lift, and I begged the guys, said, give me the best machine you have, like the most stable. I don't want something rickety. And we got there, and sure enough, it was a, it was as good a 50-foot scissor lift as you get, but scissor lifts are very unstable. So what happens is every time you shift your weight... Literally, if I I go from my left leg to my right leg, my horizon line would shift. Sure. So my assistant and I had to actually tape ourselves into position. And every exposure I made, I was literally in the exact same spot every time because that was the only way I could guarantee that my horizon line wasn't going to change. So you put tape footprints down, Mm -hmm. you stood Mm -hmm. on. And I stood and I mimicked my exact – Yeah, and my – even the weight of my arm, the way I was over the camera – the position physically my physical position was exactly in the same every exposure it must i made let's take you a day that's to 10 get hours over. of that's work a that's, like that's that. a physical effort oh my effort, God. I oh, mean, so it's exhausting and people yeah. don't realize how physical it yeah. is i mean yeah. or i've been in a you know recently just did this geographic project on bird migration mm-hmm. day and night and 36 hours in a bird blind, yeah. where you can't even turn on a white light. You know, white light, they go. Mm. You sneeze, they leave. Yeah, I mean, wow. it's that kind of thing. Can
2: we Speaking about sneezing, you're
0: up in a bucket for 20, 30 hours. Let's <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> not even go yeah. there. All right, it's okay. Let's just say, you know that guy,
0: yeah, that guy who eats all those
3: hot dogs, he has a routine. I've got my Okay, <laughs> all right, okay. Moving right along. I, can we uh, jump back over here to that the Flatiron image and, and kind of start with some production talk here? Uh, <laughs> uh, because cause I know, I mean, yeah, so out here <laughs> to Venice to the Flatiron and Twenty Third Street. It's all
2: you know, really months of preparation, of course, honestly. 23rd. And the Flatiron is is one of my favorites because I did work with um, the gentleman from the mayor's office very closely on this. And as I mentioned earlier, he said, "You know, look, the only way I'm going to ever approve this is if we meet with the DOT." So okay, now Stephen and I have been working together for many years in, in the world of advertising, and I've done a lot of production with him before, so I, I knew what the DOT was, I, I, you know, I knew the drill. And um, I've never really, you can just submit a permit to the DOT, I've never had to go down and meet them before. So I went down, it was a, and, uh, in, in the midsummer, and I met with both um, the gentleman from the mayor's office and from the DOT. And we walked through it all, and I explained everything. I also had to have permission from two other sources. One was the pork chop, which is the bit of land right in front where all the blue umbrellas Mm -hmm. are, and then another set of permissions from the Flatiron building itself. And um, it was a little bit different than I I might have to get today. But anyway, that being said, um, I got permission. And um, they said to me, here's the day you can shoot at 9-11. And I thought, oh, there's going to be nobody on the street because it was the 10th anniversary, and I thought everybody's going to be downtown. But I was too petrified, honestly, to say, "Do you think you could give me another date?" Because I knew I was 12th. pressing the button. But then she the told me,
0: and I said, "Stephen, they're going to let us do it on night 11." And I go, "Oh my God, you're kidding me! That that means we're going to get the memorial lights,
2: the tribute of lights, on Fifth
0: Avenue." Yeah. I said, "I'm going to." Then I knew instantly. I said, "I'm going to do Fifth Avenue at night." And, and Broadway Day. day. And, yeah. that, and that's how it happened. Yeah, literally. So, so like they gave gift. us
2: the permission and we had everything in place. And I had my parking monitor out the night before and putting up signs. And we were all prepared. We can't. It was a gorgeous day. How
3: big is the crew on a chat like this?
2: It's small. We, oh. we can't. So what's interesting is we always have a PA with us on the ground and we always have one assistant up in the air with Stephen and myself or another production person on the ground, you know, when he travels to India, for example, I usually don't go on those um, Africa. I had production people there. I was there ahead of time with him scouting a bit. but um, so it, it varies. You know, anywhere from four to five is the max because it's just too long a day, and we can't shift people out in the middle because we really need the continuity. So on this, we had one of our assistants up with Steven. And on this particular one, the uh the driver of the truck <laughs> this said is a funny story. I, I I have to go up there with him. that's the way we we keep one guy on the ground watching lift and I gotta go up with him. And I was like, Same. look, you know you guys, you know us for a hundred years. I don't think it's a good idea. You're not gonna be able to come down. And he just they wasn't, didn't grasp that. Yeah, like, yeah. he wasn't getting yeah. it. And they I was didn't like, get, all right. The
0: driver didn't like really understand. Really. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, come on, you're, you're going to come down, right? <laughs> yes. we're so sitting and I kept up there, saying, no. no lunch breaks, so no. I'm up there and I'm like getting, I mean, it's a perfect and day. we, are, literally, amazing we have a, stuff I'm getting. Uh, yeah,
2: and we have a, a pulley system. So For I would go out and get drinks uh, and nice. sandwiches, whatever he needs. A need, bucket, basically. Put it in the bucket and the bucket goes up. And I, I remember pulling the bucket up and the guy goes, all right, I'm coming down. And I'm like. I don't no, think so.
0: No, he said to me, he looked at me, uh, what happens is- <laughs> If you um, can't fit in the bucket, you're not going anywhere. So we've we're, we got all this great stuff. And I'm, I'm all set. I'm waiting. The sunset now. I'm literally just waiting for the memorial lights to come on. And he looks at me and he goes, okay, guys, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. So we're going to just go down for a few minutes, okay? And I go, no. No, 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 no. no. You don't understand. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I got to go to the bathroom. I said, no, no, no. I said- you see that we have to get this picture of the lights. I said, after I get the lights on, you're Free to go down, but we which is about do five this. hours later. I said, I can offer you a bottle. I can offer you. I it's said, like, Yeah, September you're 11th you're like, is 9 the like, the I, I like 9.30. Like, I, was sure. gonna, I was at that moment almost ready to grab the keys and say, We're not moving this thing because I knew <laughs> I had such a great <laughs> down. <laughs> rail, I just said, the uh, the There's driver, no way we're going down. His
2: partner, who's sitting down on the ground, looks at me and he goes, You're kidding, right? I said, No, I told you, you just weren't listening. No one comes down. Once he goes up, he's up. So
0: after this shoot. Every other shoot we've ever done with them, they're like, "No problem, Stephen. You can go up go by yourself." Up, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're like, is, yeah. "Yeah, we'll control it from the ground." And they yeah. sit and they have their coffee in the car,
3: and it's just me and are you guys in constant communication. I mean, yes, we're yeah, on walkies yeah, all the time. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really funny.
2: It was really funny. Yeah. But but on this one also, so th- there's just a, a lot of nuances because first of all, the pork chop itself, the umbrellas are down you know, at night, mm. and um, the, the, everyone was super nice and super helpful on this, but I ended up getting out there, at, you know, I think it was 3 in the morning, and I had to run out and literally put up each one of those umbrellas <laughs> myself, oh, wow. which is, okay, you know, uh, and then, you know, we had, we had that little thing, and then we also had, um, that particular day, Stephen was up, and all of a sudden,
0: there was a bomb scare,
2: bomb scare yeah. in, um, the, so, in yeah. Madison Park.
0: So what happened was I'm 50 feet in the air. And all of a sudden, it's like Godzilla is entering Madison Park. Mm-hmm. It's like people are fleeing. Wow! And there, and you hear this announcement: "Please evacuate the park. Please evacuate the park." And all of a sudden, like this guy, like the Hurt Locker, Mr. Hurt Locker comes, uh-huh.
2: and I'm in petrified. his full-on
0: bomb suit because I'm wearing. twenty-five. Say,
2: you get down. Yeah. He's twenty-five
0: yeah. feet away from me, and my assistant and I are watching this. And they're, and there, no one. You know, one thing amazing thing about being in a cherry picker over New York City, nobody looks up. Like especially with today's technology, right, with everyone's iPhone and everything and probably you know, nobody now, looks
2: with drones and stuff. It would probably be very different. But it but you know, no nobody yeah.
0: looks up. They, yeah, they you're just right. don't. So you're then, right. I was invisible, even to the police in a way. So Except they're clearing they're clearing the streets and I'm looking at my assistant and going. and I get this Mr. Hurtlocker and he's, you see him bringing a suitcase. It, you know, he's going into the park and he takes this suitcase back in and he's just outside my frame. Otherwise, it would have been in the <laughs> picture. And, ah. But I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I think we're in the blast zone here. This is nuts. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea that I'm even
1: here. And it means like that driver's going, can I go down now? Can I yeah. go
3: down now? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, well, we, we were yeah, all yeah. extremely Yeah, nervous. he was like, wait a second, this wasn't
3: part of the agreement. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so... Follow up on that. He, they, so, they, they, the bomb, they cleared the bomb. And, you know, Electrical because it was
2: lightning. 9-11, it was even more so, yeah, oh, sure. uh, you know, yeah. even more it
0: was pretty crazy.
2: worrisome to everybody. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, please just don't look up. Because I figured as soon as they see him, they're going to be like, down. down yeah. They didn't look up. They cleared out the park. They went through all the machinations. And then they went, went about their Another business. Everybody left. City. And yeah. headed downtown. And, you know, we were sitting there. It was also just happened that Italy had just opened. So there was a line around the corner for gelato. There were a tremendous amount of people on the streets. You know, it just ended up to be a magical, magical day. The weather was fantastic. And it, really the rest of it, I have to say, went off without a hitch. We we were so fortunate. And mm-hmm. in, in each one of them, there are always something, something happening, last-minute changes. You know, it is production-heavy. Each one of these does take months. I, I can't tell you, I, we, Gramercy Park was one of the ones we did it. after that. And I had to go through a tremendous amount of permission gaining through the Gramercy Park Association, which we became friendly with. And each one of them brings its own nuances and its mm-hmm. own problem solving. I, I think the beauty of it all is that because he's up there for so long, people who work with us really respect. respect
3: it. I was going to say, what's the one thing that, yeah. that links everybody's eventual okay you know what I mean their approval is it respect for the work uh I, I are think they expecting a print at the end or sometimes or, yeah. we, we
2: do do that with Gramercy Park we did do that mm-hmm. we made a, a contribution to the Gramercy Park Association mm-hmm. so that they could auction it off and raise money for the fund which Great. worked out really well you know, it, each one, as I say, has its own nuances. But I think in the end, they really respect the idea that he gets up there for 24 hours. We are very, very, very conscious of not stepping on anybody's toes and mm-hmm. being very thoughtful about where we are and mindful of, of the people. You mean, around you act us. professionally. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. We do. Years of years of, of, of incredible advertising work has, has taught us that well, mm-hmm. and I think that that's been the beauty of it. You know, and it was a real homage to the city when we first started the project and in the yeah. mayor's office. Really took it on and understood what we were doing, and we, we, you know, had the great fortune of getting permission to be up in Central Park at Bethesda Fountain. Mm -hmm. That one also had its own nuances and problems and permission granting, and that's a whole other genre. And then we did Brooklyn Bridge Park. Took me two years to clear that. Uh, We went. I can't even tell you how many times we went down. We sent a scout down. We we did it every which way from Sunday, and we ended up. Having a complete fluke and how we got the permission for it, and once we did it, and the guy who originally didn't want to give us permission because he thought we would be too intrusive within the park, because Stephen had to have the lift underneath the bridge.
0: I was fifty feet in the air for eighteen hours, uh, and you know, underneath I'm, the
2: Manhattan underneath bridge. Underneath the Manhattan
0: bridge, and I, the 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 sound so, was yeah. oh, it was the most, I, people it was, always ask me what was the most challenging. My brain was just like having a shockwave. I couldn't, I couldn't even. If you'd asked me my name when I got down, you feel now, the like sound a, up there. Oh, the uh, yeah, it is. was like the, a rep- every time the B and the, the, the D and so, oh, the yes, train right. would go across sure. almost every two to three minutes. Yeah, and I had you know like headsets on Bose things and sound reducers, earplugs. Nothing mattered. It was just deafening. It's a, so it's, that was assaulting. Really, it actually it is. It does exactly. It's like but a wave. we needed yeah. to be
2: also in, have a base camp within the park. All the gear. You know everything that we needed around us. The lift was in the park. We 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 had offered to go into the trash area. We offered to go on the street. And but the prime area he really needed to be was was still in the park. It was. I wanted
0: to make a picture. You know, Saturday in the park, kind of feeling. You know, this kind of, you know, something that you know harkens back to again some of the impressionists. You know, the celebratory view. The work has really for me has always been the New York, especially, and where it sort of emerged from was I just love New York. You know, and I I just want to make photographs that make people feel the kind of love I feel when and I look when, at the city when, and I think when, about the city. You when know. and
3: how did it grow up as New York to, <laughs> to well, African and
0: real? That society. was really interesting. I mean, it, it, it started with, um, I did one of, of, uh, California, like a, what really was a sister image to Coney Island. Mm. I wanted oh, to the photograph Monica. the Santa Monica pier. Yeah. And after that image, uh, we then to Chicago, there was an opportunity to go to Chicago and I've, I always loved the Cubs. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I ended up, uh, I'm a baseball fan. So I did this. And then of course, I, I'm. If you look at my work, you'll see um, the evolution over the last nine years. If you think about where I came from, from starting really my art as a documentary photographer, I did Ellis Island and Bethlehem Steel and some of these places, and then I went and started working into China. Uh, my work has always been um, captivated by history and um, and memory in a way and time, and so I've been now melding all of those things. and And now the newest day nights are really f- sort of, I think. F- fueled with um, social conscious issues that I'm very, very, you know, driven by whether it's rising and seas these, or, the, you know, the birds and things like that. Are all of the
3: the original ideas come from you or are some of them suggested? Uh, and
2: I think that, you know,
3: are the assignments? No, yeah, I was looking you know, who's well, footing the bill because this is expensive. Oh you my know, God, it's,
2: it's, it's
0: really been a self-driven project.
1: has it been? Yeah, yeah, okay. It well, really yeah.
2: has been. Mm-hmm. I You know, the interesting part of it is that, when we went, one of our galleries, uh, Peter Federman Gallery, when he started working with us doing New York, he said to Stephen, he goes, you you, you got to go global with this. And I remember sitting there with him and he said, I, I I really feel like you need to go to London, to Paris, Jerusalem. And we look, and I remember we walked out of the gallery and I looked at Stephen and I said, oh my God. You know, and he said to me, you know, I think he's right. I, I think yeah, we got to go global with well, this. That, well, that, and, but we, we had
0: an opportunity. I wanted to go to Israel and I'd never been to Israel. And so I decided to do this picture of the um, of the Western Wall. And uh, it was uh, just a remarkable kind of an experience for me for my first time. And uh, I'll tell you, share a little story. It was really amazing. My my uh, my dad, when I grew Wait, up. Wait, before, yeah. before you get okay. there
2: though, I mean, what happened was Stephen said, I, I want to shoot the Western Wall. We do a tremendous amount of research in the studio before we send the scout out because it's too broad and his vision is very particular about what he needs for the frame. So we start researching it, and one of our assistants says, My God, the Birkat Kohanim. Yes. And he looked at the picture. And, and I he saw said, a picture and
0: said, Oh, that's I have to shoot I that because there's that. an ocean of people there, I, a sea of humanity. I said, That's the photograph I need to make. Now I need to get to on the highest and closest physical structure to the Western Wall. So I have this great scout. Uh, so deeply we, religious man who- And
2: so, wait, l- let me just interject and just say that. <laughs> it takes a while for us to find the right scout there.
0: This is important. Right, okay. They're asking about production. Oh, in right, sure. Israel, right. everybody's a scout. Okay, right. so-, so we, Betty found the scout. We, we found <laughs> yes.
2: this guy who was fantastic. Who had done work in the field before. And it took him three months of literally sending us photographs, knocking on every door- in the call um, I called? knew roughly
0: what building I wanted because i do a lot of using Google Earth and I you know so I I knew roughly where I needed to be uh, based on altitude and physical structures and then he had to get access into those areas and that's what took so much time and we it, we, we got we got the permission we got it cleared we literally had to get all our gear in by about one o'clock in the morning we moved in at about three o'clock in the morning my camera was already in set position I was on this rooftop couldn't believe the view I had it was kind of all I could do is imagine like going up every morning and having coffee and looking at this view from this vantage point in my photograph you see all of religion in the western world yes so we're in the hotel one that
2: was the yeah. word I was looking for yes. we were yeah. in the hotel and we had a private rooftop that and the gentleman who owned the apartment wasn't using the apartment. He was actually, he rented it out every so often, so it was empty, which was great because we got mm-hmm. to, we, we, we were able to get down into the apartment, you know, keep some of our gear there, use the bathroom. And and, uh, yeah, it was we secure, had a little bit of base yeah. camp. Production elements. Yeah. But we, but the security was insane, insane, uh, and we needed to get there that early in the morning. We had a uh, police escort. Oh, it was
0: as, as extreme as anything you'd see during 9-11 or anything like that. Uh, so it was really tight. We got there, setting up the camera, everything set, at about 3.30 in the morning, my, my scout who we've become friendly with, and he looks at me and he goes, Wilkes, he goes, Are you Jewish? And I go, Yeah, I am. He goes, Do you have any idea what this day is about? And uh, I go, No. And when I was a kid, my dad used to say to me, You know, Stephen, you're what's considered a high priest. I go, Does that mean I still got to go to Hebrew school? He goes, Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. So I used to have this thing. I used to, have, he says, We're a Kohen. You're know, a Cohen. Your you're Cohen's. A Cohen. I'm, we're Cohen's. So I'm like, Wow, okay. So, Fast forward, I'm having this conversation. I said, yeah, I'm Jewish. He says, you know what this day is about? I go, I just the day that I guess especially everybody comes to pray at the, uh, at, the, at the wall. He goes, no, this is the day that all the Kohanim come to bless everyone. And I, my mouth is agape. And he goes, are you a Kohanim? I go, yeah. He says, do you realize you're here today with all your brethren to bless everybody? That's physically in this place. That's intense. So that was really intense. And I by think, the way, it yeah. was
2: horrible weather leading up to that day. We were, yeah,
0: we were so lucky. Lipping,
2: it was completely we overcast. Were so, so lucky.
0: Have
3: you had to call off uh, some
0: shoots
2: because of weather? We've never done it. No,
0: no. We've been really fortunate. I mean, the shoots that haven't worked. When you asked earlier, I, I did. Uh, I did a picture uh, of the Grand Canyon. The first one I did, I shot from. Uh, it was on actually the Indian land, and it, it's. There's a very famous Japanese uh, architect who created this. Um, it looks like a gigantic magnet that's clear. It's a walkway that literally floats over mm-hmm. the canyon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, that'll be my human narrative: people walking on this abstract, you know, this this clear sort of a uh, uh, horseshoe in the middle of the Grand Canyon. And I did this photograph. I spent literally 26 hours photographing from this place. And when I looked at the image and I roughed it in, I realized that the actual architecture overpowered the Grand Canyon. And so I, I realized that's not the photograph I want to make. It's, it's, I wanted to, I, I don't want to over, you know, the Grand Canyon is the thing that I'm trying to capture. And I wanted to somehow c- contextualize humanity in a way with it that, that was, much more harmonious than allowing, like, this Is, architecture overpower. Does every, overpowering. every
3: shot start at dawn?
0: Oh, yeah, and yeah. before dawn, pre-dawn, pre-dawn, actually, yeah. pre-dawn. And there's sometimes that I actually get to a location uh, in daylight uh, where I have to set up in daylight because it's too difficult to actually access at night. So, you know, like an uh, example, when I was in the Falkland Islands, um, you know, I, I started – I, I almost do reverse. I shoot Malvinas. M- m- yeah, the Mal. Sorry, <laughs> the Malvina. I'm married to an Argentine. Yes, yes, <laughs> No, Thank you. I, I have, usually. I'm used to on Facebook. I, you know, on Instagram. I have to hashtag both. Yeah. So I don't get you know hate mail get from. This. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's Malvina's, depending on your persuasion. Sure. And And uh, I, um, uh, so I had this experience where we the physicality of just getting to the location was so tr- you know difficult. We had to actually get out there in the early afternoon and then work a sort of a reverse schedule Well, it really
1: yeah. doesn't matter at the, no. end of the,
0: at the end of the day
1: <laughs> um when you really start No, it's 24 hours cycle. from beginning of yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, exactly yeah. well yeah. I think
2: I think when you're we waiting for moonrise I mean that well, that's has a great well, effect yeah. I mean mm-hmm. that well, it well, does moon, really matter well, because, sure. okay. yeah
0: yeah that, that's mean, that's why when people hear you know why why are you shooting 36 hours usually it's because of moonlight I'm trying to get you know when you start when I started moving the work into um from the National Park series that I did I started to realize that you know uh, how do you capture night the only way is there is no light in a national park right other than moonlight so you know sometimes you can be shooting and you get your normal 12 hours or whatever it is 16 hours but you know what the moon, but for the time the moon you get up high enough for it to light El Capitan which is what was happening in in that first picture I did of Yosemite mm-hmm. in the National park uh, you know I spent you know, God knows how many hours waiting for that event to happen where the angle of light would hit it just the right way, so as the work has evolved um so have the challenges in a
3: way you know oh, how many do you do a year or how often do you do it this? really
2: depends uh you know I think when we first started, we were doing you know two or three, you know balancing it between a lot of our commercial and editorial commitments, and we were moving along and then Stephen. Uh, signed a contract with Tosh and, and we we had 35 at the time and we needed to add a substantial amount to finish off the project for the book. And for two years, really, I would say we were...
0: I've done more in the last two years than, you know, That's it's cra- almost crazy. Herculean. What
2: Did, how often does it, a, and
1: years? it must, because of the fact that this is so labor and time intensive. Are there times when you're sitting up there in that bucket saying to yourself, you know what? I think I think this is played. I think I've done it.
2: I don't you know, think at it's at that time. No, food. I don't no, I, it's it's I, always it's, on the back
1: end. It's, it's <laughs> the edit. It's the the edit. The like, edit oh. is is a
0: torture. But you know, I was very very. My heart was warmed, um, reading a great book on Da Vinci, and um, and 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 it, it describes procrastination as this beautiful thing that it actually is not procrastinating. It's just that you're you know, for creatives, you have to, you're working through it. And I keep explaining that to my wife, you know, that, that, (laughs) you know, she keeps saying, why aren't you editing? Why aren't you editing? Why aren't you editing? She's always screaming at me. I'm never editing fast enough or, you know, and I'm like, no, I am editing. It's actually in my head and I'm thinking about it and Mm -hmm. the relationship of it and, and where I'm going to go with it. And, you know, uh, I'm telling stories, right. And I'm also reliving my memory. So, you know, that's what photographs do, right? I mean, they think they, they bring our, they keep our memories alive in a way. And so, uh, when you experience the, 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 the things that I experience when I, when I spend 24 hours looking at a scene, just studying a place, it informs you in a way that's very different than almost anything I've ever experienced. And I think one of the great joys for me personally has been when people stand in front of my prints and they experience it the way I did. And, you know, we found it fascinating the way people actually spend time looking at my pictures. Absolutely. They don't just glance at my work, oh, you know. No. No you I, there's a way, in a well, way, that there's something think, about the time that I put in that comes out.
2: In I, a well, it's a, a perfect example of yeah. that, of all of this, is that we had the great fortune to be commissioned by the United States Embassy of, in Canada and the National Gallery in Canada to create a day-to-night of the Canada 150, yeah. which was last summer. And it was on July 5th, I want to say, or July 2nd. I, I can't remember the exact date. And we knew we had to shoot that day. And we had months, almost a year of preparation getting into this. And at the last like month or two before, we found that the royals were coming, which changed where we could shoot from because you know they have to have so much security, et cetera, et cetera. And we were scouting with the team from the National Gallery who were helping us. And we had a fabulous team there. And anyway, we settle on this location and we get to Ottawa and it is pouring, and I mean pouring. And Canada 150 is going on whether it's pouring or not. And the picture reflects the morning of rain and umbrellas and incredible ponchos, and And we're sitting out there, and they had built a structure for him to shoot off on the roof, and luckily there was an empty office building below because he couldn't have shot from the roof no matter what because there was so much rain. And he shot through the entire day into the night. The, the, photogra- the uh, fireworks weren't off until... I think 1030 that night or 11 11, and we shoot it and it ended up, we knew we had the picture because we had this incredible break of light during the middle of the day, it
0: it looked like a Hudson River school painting, the sunset. It was just spectacular. But the,
2: the the incredible thing was that after we made the picture and we presented it to the museum and to the people of Canada, um, the next day we were at the national gallery and Prim, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie showed up. Just completely coincidental and we were very uh, we got to know the ambassadors uh, f- uh, from the US of Canada Bruce and Vicky Heyman and Vicky is there and she says to Stephen oh my god you gotta come here and she says I want to introduce you to Prime Minister Trudeau.
0: I'm getting a tour literally I, one of the curators is giving me a tour she goes Stephen I, someone would like to meet you and 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 it's literally <laughs> it's Justin Prime Trudeau and his
2: wife. And he, he brings un- Stephen un-
0: and he just came over to me and, and he, he, said, c- he looked at me and he said I can't tell you how unbelievable that photograph is. And he said to me, the most touching thing was he said, every single memory of that day. Right. Is in my memory of that day is in your
3: photograph.
2: That's and powerful. that was incredible. And that, was an and that incredible touches thing. upon what yeah. you were just saying that people then
0: I said, Oh my god,
3: that's the ultimate compliment.
2: Right? right? The ultimate I mean, well, that compliment. makes it interesting
3: when it is an event and, and a one day thing where other people are sharing it sure. so they can show sure. it exactly. Reflect that exactly. In the same yeah. Yeah. And that yeah.
2: you know, that's been thematic. Mm. You know, when, when he can capture have a all historical the photos event,
3: been seen, or are there still some that
2: there's still a few that, that, have, that have not have been seen? Been seen we had the yeah. incredible foresight potentially or good fortune to be allowed to do one of red square mm-hmm. um and that one is still being worked on mm-hmm. yeah and that was you know an incredible <laughs> i don't know
0: if i could do now but uh,
2: <laughs> i doubt we get permission <laughs> right now i think we get
0: permission yeah. now okay
1: we're gonna take a short break and we come back we're gonna be talking about the serengeti stay tuned
0: We hope you're enjoying this edition of the BH Photography Podcast.
2: Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photopodcast. For Serengeti, I started working with a, a team out of Tanzania. My God, like in September, and we didn't shoot the picture till March. It took that long. Everything moves at a snail's pace there the amount of production needed to get in there and to figure out how to get everything in there and what we needed and the permissions, it's, yeah. it's, it's very, very, very time consuming. And what happened was we were going together prior to the shoot, um, to, to Africa and to Tanzania. We went together and we were supposed to meet the production team the day we got there and hand off some of the equipment and the hard drives and the, just to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And at the last minute they called me they're like, oh, sorry, we're not going to show up today. I'm like, what? I was, could not believe it. He's like, yeah, no, we can't make it. we'll, we'll catch at the end. So the whole time we were there together, I had my heart in my mouth worrying and we, we, we had a sense of where he wanted to go. And we were pre-scouting before he even met the team because the scouting photographs that they were sending us just weren't really what he wanted. And the last day that we were together there, our assistants were traveling in to meet him. I was coming back to the States and we get to this literally airstrip that is just a dirt road and our plane lands and they're supposed to be waiting for him there and there's nobody there. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so so not how I run a production. (laughs) Like (laughs) we are are like clockwork. I'm like, oh my God, and I can't even get to them because the cell phones just are so dismal. And he's like, don't worry, they'll show up. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, they'll they'll show up. So I end up leaving him alone on this airstrip. Literally, I think there was a hut.
0: With my eight (laughs) cases of equipment. Yeah, all the equipment,
2: (laughs) no assistance, no nobody. And sure enough, they do end up showing up. And then what happens after that is just a real miracle. He had, we had been to the Serengeti National Park. You can't go off-road there. And he said to our team over there, who had a lot of experience, which is why we hired them, and it wasn't cheap. It's expensive to work over there. Everything is black market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's just one of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, he said to them, after scouting, what, like three or four days,
0: well, there was – basically I, I, um, I discovered the location through happenstance. It's like I was um, – uh, it was one late afternoon and uh, I noticed this watering hole but I wasn't really drawn into it to be honest because it was uh, just – from the angle where you're actually in the park and you're driving, you don't see it in its entirety. You only see a fraction of it. But what I noticed was these zebras uh, at sunset were coming out and they looked like they had been dipped in black chocolate so they were or oil it was like they were glazed and they were just beautiful i've never seen anything quite like it and in fact it was almost that there was a, a viscosity almost to the water it was like uh almost like mercury you know it had this kind of sheen to it and i just started photographing them and i was like where are they coming from what's going on like where where are they getting the sheen from because all i could think about was seeing them go in and then come out and so i traced them i followed them back into the actual watering hole that they were coming out of and when I saw the watering hole, I was like, wait a second. I saw the relationship of where I was versus where the hole was. And, I, and then I saw the back end of it. And I want, realized if I could get to the opposite side from inside the park and shoot across, that I'd have this amazing view, at sunset and everything. And so um, we got permission to drive off-road into the park. Which is unheard of. Unheard of. And I I had a uh, scaffolding uh, built onto the actual truck, so it was like using speed rail. So it elevated me almost about 15 feet in the air. And then on top of that, I had a crocodile blind Uh, that was attached to it. So I was essentially invisible to the animals when we started to shoot, but we, we pulled up, I was scouting at this moment. So I only stood on the top of my truck. And when I looked at the view, I, I knew immediately this is the shot. This is definitely the shot. So then we had to get back and, uh, we spent almost four or five days negotiating with the head of the national park,
2: waiting for permission, waiting for
0: permission, because they don't allow you to go in there for
2: 24 hours. No, unheard of the animals. Yeah. You can't, how do you protect yourself? Not yeah. only that,
0: it's it's mm. really about the poaching. They yeah, you know, they don't want anybody driving in the park after sunset. So it's a very very strict it's thing. Guarded and and I needed to actually be set up. You know, like I needed my truck in the situation all dialed in, like at one o'clock in the morning, so I could shoot the stars. So I could, and they they agreed to it. We got we were able to do it. At, we they said you will only allow you to do this. You have to camp out in our tents. So they allowed us to use the actual national, uh, the, you know, the, the rangers tents. So we literally spent the night uh, in the middle of the Serenara. But you we know, had a security was,
2: guard with yeah. a rifle and we yeah. also had a Maasai with a spear.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's just say, you gotta keep, you gotta keep I, if your I had known, base, uh, your, your base is covered there. <laughs> if I had known what I know now, I don't know if I would have been, qu- I, I don't think I would have slept at all, frankly, or, and I'm, God knows if I probably would have um, ever stepped down from my my rig, because we when we pulled up that night to set up uh, the camera, uh, the uh, as the lights came across this watering hole, there were all these eyes lighting up. You, we immediately, think of crocodiles, but they weren't crocodiles. They were hippopotamuses. So there's a whole family of hippos there. So after the fact, I realized that it, when a hippo, if you get between it and the water and its water, it will you know likely Go after you, and there's a ninety-five percent chance you're going to die if a hippo goes after you. Which I didn't. know they had that a uh, high of a kill rate. You can't reason with them. No, no. So, and and by the way, you know, they people think that these lumbering animals, it's they're much closer to you know with the dancing hippos that you used to see in the cartoons. That's how fast they can move.
1: Well, we're talking yeah. about a photograph, and and if you're listening to the show, if you just go online, uh, you could find it very very easily. But. It's essentially a small watering hole. It's what, maybe 50, 60 feet across, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's in the photograph, you have over the course of 24 hours, pretty much every animal species that came along to
0: drink. Yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, one of the things it's I did Noah's was, Ark around it was, a puddle. It was essentially Noah's Ark. I kept waiting for him to, well, you know, to you drop the You have to talk about
2: there. what happened when you were yeah. shut well, down. Well, well,
0: what happened was um, I set up the camera, we were there. We started taking photographs. It was 26 hours. I think I took two hours to stop to eat lunch. That was it. Otherwise I was photographing the entire time. And, um, what I witnessed was, it was truly really biblical in a way. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. And it was kind of a life-changing experience because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a dog lover. I, I love animals in general, but. Um, I've never witnessed anything quite like this. So these are all these species are sharing this watering hole and I'm watching this over a 26-hour period and you don't even hear them grunt at each other. There is absolutely no it's like this idea that they're competitive in any way does not exist when it comes to the going into the water and sharing the water. It's an equalizer. And it's an equalizer. They the animals seem to truly understand that water is something everybody gets to share and that whatever other problems you have with each other, you could pick that up after you leave the watering hole. But when it comes to the watering hole, everybody's on the same plane. It was astounding to watch. And it, um, it made me begin to understand that animal communication is something we don't really truly understand. And, and I started to really think about how my work might be able to evolve into capturing more of that idea of animal communication and that's really how you know the bird series got it was based on serengeti and then i did a photograph uh, in a place called robes and bite where i captured you know uh, orca whales and and the way they interact intersect mm-hmm. with humanity in this a magnificent place called the bite when I'll you're up there are, are you
3: well i have two questions about that time there how often are you pushing the shutter and also what I mean, do you have a lot of great ideas when you're up there about everything else that's going on or is it, are you so focused on what's going on? No, I'm I'm just, you know, I I really try to live in the moment, you know, so, you know, you you think
0: about uh, as a photographer, I started as a street photographer and uh, I would, you know, just, uh, I can kind of smell a picture before it happens. And I, I think what I do is, although I'm in a very sort of controlled, you know, set space and my frame is very defined already, I am, you know, just reacting to what my eye see so I'm literally just seeing things and reacting I'm I, I like to describe it as I'm a street f- photographer from you know 50 feet in the air that's what I do not to say I don't have a, an idea of a picture but I don't let my uh, my pre-visualization of something um, define what it is that I'm going to capture I'm, I'm open I've learned over the years that, that you know I, I want to you know somewhat be able to have this frame, but then I get lost within the frame. I want to get lost a little bit because that, that is what kind of drives my uneasiness a little bit. And so it m- makes me pay even more attention. And I tend to be very afraid of missing something. And like with the Serengeti shot, what Betty was mentioning was, um, we, we, sh- we shoot such large files, uh, that every three hours or so I have to clear my computer off just to capture and, um, you know, to keep working uh, fluidly. And so, uh, Sometimes that involves like literally disconnecting, and it's so it's a couple of minutes before I am live again, and so there's this always this moment of where I'm completely terrified that within those few minutes something the shot's the going to happen, gonna happen yes. you know, like that the the you know the line's going to strike, the, the something's going to happen, especially when you're shooting wildlife, uh, and so uh, or Manhattan, my my assistant or Manhattan, true, <laughs> and and my assistant um, looks at me and he says after four minutes he goes, you're live. You can start shooting again, Stephen. I'm like, thank God. I, I looked around. So I'm in a, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a crocodile blind, right? And that's like, a, you know, this basically it's like a beige tent with a 20 by, you know, 36 window in it. And I peer. So I don't have really peripheral vision. I have to, in order to see what's coming on my edges, I actually have to lean my head out the window to look. And so I lean my head out, and literally, if you look at the photograph, you'll see a family of elephants, elephants marching yeah. across. That incredible. is the moment I see them, that the, and it's like I'm going, oh my god! You know, literally, I was shooting so fast, my assistant was cocking my shutter for me. I was just going, if you could motor drive a four or five, I was motor driving. <laughs> it was just so incredible. <laughs> but to me, the most spectacular moment was this when they just came across that center section, and the baby, um, the gesture of that baby was just—it was out of the Jungle Book. It was magical, you know. And so. Th- my point being is you just never know when that stuff's going to happen. And I just felt like so blessed. I was so thankful that my assistant Chris got it finished and done because 30 seconds later, I don't get that picture. You know? Not to get too far off the topic, but what camera are you using, camera and lens system? So I work with a Linhof, yeah, a okay. large
3: format camera. And, and it's uh, a
0: digital back on it? Digital back, a phase digital back, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right.
3: Phase 100 megapixel, yeah. So And so time will go by where you you won't be shooting. I mean, it really, it sounds like, While you're up there, you're like every other photographer. You're waiting for that moment. There's not like a a set number of minutes Exactly. Or time no, there's no, nothing.
0: I, I uh, Like I said, my eye moves mm-hmm. with time mm-hmm. and certainly I'm creating naked plates based on time. Mm-hmm. And if there's transition, color and clouds, coverage, different. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting coverage based yeah. on my time transition. So that's always happening. And that's always in the back of my mind, but I live in the moment. I'm, like I said, I'm a street shooter. So I'm reacting to what I see with my eye. And that's really what it's about. It's, that's what people, you know, when you look at the work, it's way more, this is not a time-lapse where some, you know, mechanical mechanism is shooting pictures every day. Every fifteen to thirty seconds, or every minute, um, this is me seeing very specific moments throughout the day and the night, and that's why it is really a um, an accurate representation of my memory of it. what I
3: saw that day. That that comes through the photo, though. You know, even it's hard to put your finger on it when yeah. you're looking at the photo, but this idea does come through. I think you know.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think you know if you look closely enough and you see the moments, you know there there are a lot of really cool moments in it. Oh, that's yeah. what's so, kind of fun about the work is you know I I, I the joy to me is in the details, and and it, the joy for me is is bringing you into the picture. You know, a lot of art, you you know, you kind of you need to stand back at four feet to take it in. My art doesn't work that way. You can stand back at four feet and take it in, but then I want you to come closer. I want you to come in. Come, you have come to. On You in. have no choice. Yeah, you have no choice. I want you to come inside, take a look. You know, there's something for you to discover. And like Betty said, I mean, that's that's the the great pleasure is when people who live with the work, you know, say to me, oh, you know, oh, Stephen, God, every day I wake up, I see something new,
3: and that's what I love about art. I like art. That you know you can rediscover every time you look at it. Can I ask this? And and we've touched on it a bit. Some of the work is comes from assignments. Others, it's you guys decide you want to shoot it and mm-hmm. you figure it out. I've heard you mention a grant. Yes, uh, and tashin. So there's there's a whole lot of players involved in in funding this I, to some degree. And, yeah. Uh, and well, I mean, you yes sell and no, prints right. also yeah. through the gallery. Yeah.
0: The gallery is what really, to be honest, my, my gallery sales is what really is how we, uh, we we feed it all back into the project. Okay. Right. So it's the print sales that really are able to... Um, um, been very fortunate that the work has, uh, I have a, a, a really great collector base that mm-hmm. um, it ex- is always excited about my, the new works that I'm doing. And, and they, um, that that enables me to go out and create more art. The, you know, you know and that's really the way it works.
2: Going back to the grants, when Stephen was talking about it earlier, you know, the initial grant, and what I estimated for was for five domestic bird migration shots. Mm. We ended up, he ended up basically going around the world to do it. So and the the grant budget that was initially forthcoming did not even come close cover to it. covering what we needed to. That was for coffee do. and snacks, yeah. basically. I mean, yeah. You know. the,
0: the, the great thing is one of the, the the exciting things for me as a photographer, you know, uh, you think of uh, uh, the Geographic is, is really this bastion of photojournalism, and I think when. Um, you know, I remember early on, I showed my work to Sarah Lean and she was very captivated with, with what I was doing. And the fact that the geographic sort of recognized this yep. and they were willing to embrace it is a really, you know, for me, it was really the ultimate compliment. They're, they're they incredible see partners. that. I, yeah. They've been incredible partners because they see that photography is evolving and they recognize that and they, and they see the power of storytelling that this, this concept brings to, to the medium. And, and, you know, the issues now that I'm beginning to explore, uh, whether it's um, with the, the, the bird migration series, you know, the idea that, you know, birds are, are – we can learn so much from birds. And, uh, you know, the old canary in the coal mine idea. Um seeing these species, studying them the way I did, you know, it's almost like a scientist, you know. When I spend a day like that, I see the mating rituals. I see all the nuances, the way they teach their young how to fly. Everything is in my pictures, you know. So it becomes a real way for, um, you know, your average viewer or a young kid who never thought twice about birds to suddenly have an experience um, with a species in a way that's really enlightening. And and maybe they get excited about about birding and realize, you know, the birds can teach us things. They can tell us what's coming before it actually happens.
3: When were these the bird photos shot? And you, 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 we, we this were last a, year. That was well, all in, in the 2017. Year. Yeah. And how many locations over the course of a year for the bird photos?
2: There were initially a total of five. Okay. And then we ended up with four mm-hmm. uh, because we ended up having to go so far away and why was and that? Endure so much expense. So, well, Stephen can t- conduct talk to this. We well, started scouting. Yeah, we initially. started
0: scouting. Uh, we started to scout. Initially, we were going to do five locations, um, and the five was uh, uh, we were going to go to uh, um, Las Malvinas, the Falkland Islands, and shoot the um, black-browed albatross, and then from there we were going to um, Nebraska and on the Platte River shooting the sandhill crane migration, and uh, and then after that we were going to go to um, the Yucatan.
2: But there was That was one. the
0: flamingos. And then we sh- we were doing um, uh, Panama. We ended up, um, I did a lot of research, and we thought, okay, Yucatan is going to be great. Rio Largatos. There's this incredible nesting area where the flamingos come it's a in. a sanctuary. It's a sanctuary. And so we had it all lined up, spent about seven months. I had a scout there, a producer, the whole thing. We worked out everything with the national park. And then two weeks, literally, before I was supposed to get on the plane and go and begin to start shooting, I get... Uh, an update, And my producer calls me, Go, goes, Steven, you're not going to believe this. But I just got off the phone with the scientists and the birds are not here. And I go, what do you mean they're not? He goes, well, they're not nesting where they normally nest. And so that, you know, that doesn't work for me. I, I got to know that the birds were going to be there. And so um, I called my editor, uh, Kathy Moran at The Geographic, who was just fantastic on this project. And we started brainstorming and realized that, okay, let's just, you know, if they're not there, they're not there. Let's figure out where we can catch them. And so we, we, um, we started looking at uh, Africa, and an area specifically called Lake Begoria. And they have a huge population there. But the thing is, they don't nest there. So, again, that created a new challenge for me. Could I actually be lucky enough to capture them as time changes an entire day without them, you know, having this giant, you know, move? Because when they have their babies with them, they tend to stay there, right? So um, we went for Bogoria. I had a, I found a great a local uh, scout and basically I heard the numbers were great. We got there and something happened. Climate change affected this picture too. So we get there and uh, the first night there's a massive thunderstorm. And I find out that over the last five weeks, this is the dead of dry season, they've been having massive rains. And we get out in the morning to scout for the first time and I see all the hills have this almost sea green color, like spring. And I notice there's this, Almost a freshwater river in the foreground of the lake that's just coming off the side uh, of where I was standing, and I started having this conversation. And I see the birds are coming into it and they're bathing themselves. So it turns out lesser flamingos, the, they love feeding in this alkaline, you know, rich nutrient-rich water, um, but in terms of bathing, they love fresh water, and so. I looked at the situation and they were saying to me, this has been going on every single night, Steve. We get a thunderstorm around 9:30 at night with lightning and everything. I go, okay, so if that follows, then this freshwater stream should be here over the next two, three days. And so what I decided to do was I built a 30 foot blind and this is crazy, but we actually had it brought in from Dubai, if you can believe that. <laughs> Cause you know, they don't have, they, they didn't happen to have that in uh, in this area of, of Africa. So, and we literally had it wrapped with fabric. And I climbed into it and I built it right on the edge of the fresh water, hoping that the birds would ignore me and want the fresh water enough to continue to bathe there. And I guessed right, they did.
1: You've been charmed. Yeah,
0: yeah that's
3: what but my sister said. twenty minutes pretty... you going.
1: Boy, again, he's getting yeah, charmed. I got lucky. And did you find out <laughs> why <laughs> they
3: the birds never showed to Mexico? Was there a, or what happened? We never there? got
0: a confirmation, yeah. but the essentially there was you know there's there has to be a certain temperature of the water. The water has to be a certain height um, in terms of them to nest. So if there's too much water, they they can't like you know create their nest. It's almost like they the nests get drowned. Um, so Hmm. it affects the young. So I think that's what it probably was. It led to, it was something to do with either temperature or water or, you know, sea level.
3: Over the course of this, uh, series, are there any kind of major technical advances or changes that have improved uh, the yeah, photography? That, or, that was or, a big or, question or, I had.
1: Well, yeah. like, how long is, with the first shot on the Highline was taken how long ago? Well,
0: that was with a, uh, and that was with a, I think it was a, what, a 37 40, megapixel 40, back? 30 or 40, or 40, yeah. 40 megapixel back. So now I'm using a 100 megapixel back. So to, to answer your question, That's it's a great shape, question. Yeah. It's, We're um, no
1: longer measuring time in years, but by pixel count.
0: Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, the thing is, is what I I feel like a writer who suddenly had a thesaurus handed to him, and I've learned all these new words. It it is it, it, technology, and in particular, uh, uh, you know, the size of the file size is. Uh, you know, I started maybe it was uh, I was shooting two and a quarter film. Now I'm shooting almost eleven by fourteen film. You know, and that is an powerful way to be able... Suddenly, what was insignificant in my early work is now significant. So from a, as a storyteller, I love the fact that I have that much more information to work with. And I think one of the things that I'm most interested in is when you see my prints in person, I'm trying to create a visceral experience for you. I want you almost to look at my work as a window, like you're standing there. It's as if I'm trying to change... I'm really, really interested in the way the eye sees. And so part of the way I photograph now is to try to almost replicate the way the human eye sees when you see a big, big print like that. So it, it from from a perception standpoint, your peripheral vision, the way your eye moves through a lot of my work feels like you're there in a sense, right? And that's what I'm really interested in. So the for me, it's very exciting. The larger, the more and more megapixels I have, the closer I get to realizing what I consider is our, the human experience of seeing. So that aside, though, what about the post-production uh, part of it? Oh, well, that creates t- more problems
2: on the yeah, post that's, side. That, that, oh. that's the oh. that has not changed. We, we,
0: we, the, the backs <laughs> are doing great. Um, the, 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 the problem <laughs> uh, is, is the, uh, the optics have to size. grow and the file oh, size. Yeah. And, the, and the other thing is, is that the, the time it takes to, yeah. to layer this type of uh, huge data together. So we're, um, we have a, my, a funny line with my retoucher. Where it's always that whenever I make a change, I call her up and I go, time to go out for coffee. That's the cue <laughs> it's, it's twenty minutes right. on the fastest computer to it's open, open the one file. of my files. Yeah, now, twenty minutes. Your Holy retoucher
3: sh- is in the studio with you when you're working, or are you guys in separate? Locations? We work. work we remotely. work
0: in, remotely. Yeah. So, but okay. we, uh, I have this you know wonderful program that I'm able to. Um, Work simultaneously with her anywhere in the world.
2: She used know. to come up to the studio yeah. a lot and, yeah. and and work with us. Okay, and work with Stephen. You know, but now one we work. One.
0: We work. Uh, it's as if I'm sitting next to her. I can. She can share my screen. I can share what's her screen. What program is this? It's it called using? Join Me. Yeah,
1: it's Join Me. Join okay. Me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: And can we talk post production now? Can mm-hmm. you just kind of maybe walk us through, if that's possible, from the images are shot, they're collected, and.
0: Well, the post work um, it it starts with me editing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can take almost a month, Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest. Well, it starts before that. I mean, first we get
2: back to the studio, and and the assistants have to download everything, and yeah, well, that's obvious, but still, it's time consuming because there's a huge amount. The data, I mean, the the
0: organization of the data is huge, and and then um, we have to um, um, we edit now in um, in Capture One, and I, you know, basically because. My workflow is such that I like to actually, you know, parallel as much as my experience when I'm actually shooting. Where if we start changing uh, and adding different software and so on and so forth. The okay. other thing I do is I actually create a time-lapse right. um, as uses a study that. guide. Um, and so my time-lapse, mm-hmm. what that does for me is it's not used uh, for any imaging. Mm-hmm. What it's used is strictly for me to study time.
1: It's a reference. It's a, it's reference, a reference guide. I stop? see how
0: the light moved. I see oh. how things change. So while you're working, you have a separate camera doing a time-lapse. Yeah, yep. of everything. Oh, yep. that's fascinating. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so that enables me to really um, see Uh, how light is moving through the scene and that becomes uh, a great uh, tool for me in terms of visual reference of how I'm going to decide where day begins and night ends and how how time is going to move through my photograph. So, um, and then, you know, like I said, we'll we'll spend, uh, the the thing people have to understand is that, you know, when you see my work, there's all this micro detail. Well, I capture very specific moments, but because my scenes are so broad in terms of the information in each photograph, uh, that there may be five or 10 or 15 other great moments that happened that I wasn't even aware of. So I get to sort of... Ha- I have to rediscover my work when I edit. So it's not just the, the marked frame. You have to visually have scan, to scan each frame. I have to scan each frame, yeah. And so you're doing that at 100%, mm-hmm. and just imagine the time to render and all that stuff. You can realize why it takes a month to edit. And then I... They All the moments uh, are based on time and they get, you know, I mark them, they get circled and then I sit down with my retoucher and we um, I, I create the master plates. I choose the frames that I feel the best skies, the transition based on time. And then we, we build the master plate together. And once that plate is built, then it comes down to, okay, my best and most favorite moments based on time get seamlessly blended into the image. And that's how it works. The post side can anywhere from three to four months. I have a, a team uh, of uh, assistants, current assistants, and old assistants that I still work with. Um, so I have almost uh, 10 pair of eyes go through the file through its complete and gestation. We one file can so have 28 yeah. iterations. Yeah, 28 I mean, to 30 iterations, easily, mm-hmm. easily, yeah. before we even print. And then we make these huge make these absent huge prints, prints and then we rip them apart. You know what I mean? Like it's so, so it's it's constantly being, um, and
2: then finalized after and, printed, you know, the refined and, apart, and refined. we print it, the studio We'll, he'll sign off on the final file. We'll put it, give it to our master printer. Master printer. He'll print it, and then we go through another, you know, that can take like
0: two, two weeks, two uh, to three weeks, three, two to three weeks, Sometimes just longer. Just to, if, because if color is so critical in my work. So if we're five. If you're 0.5 yellow or red in my images, it changes the whole narrative. So, color is really, really important. Creating a harmony between day and night, that's what the other thing people don't really realize is how challenging that is. And, you know, uh, I'm really bringing together these two very discordant worlds in a way where they visually, you just are drawn to the image, right? They just meld ca- together yes. without
1: being jarring. Yes, that's, exactly. No, and the, that's 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 the, the hardest That's the hardest part? thing. Yeah. Absolutely, that's yeah. the hardest. Now part. you simplified this process a little bit in some of your city shots because, like, I know the Times Square. You use the side of the streets that are in shadow as your night. That's right.
0: Times Square daylight was daylight. Th- There are two images that I've actually checkerboarded time. So, um, and that—that's the. Those are the only two I've done it with, and it's because in New York, you know, when you think of Times Square, it's a canyon night is in the shadow of that picture and right. day is in the sunlight exactly right? so it's checkerboarded so there's no there's no like normal arc to it and that's because you know times square sunlight comes in in spots and when i was looking at it yeah, yeah it made sense and i thought wow that could be really cool i'll checkerboard time and save two months And sa- <laughs> exactly <laughs> well and what people don't know about that picture was uh, that picture was shot in like in the middle of August or July, I think, and I'm on literally. I was shooting from on top of a, one of those great signs in, in Times yeah, Square, yeah, yeah. so I was like, you know, kind of harnessed in on a uh, on one of those signs, and um, there was a bomb scare.
3: Another one. <laughs>
0: now, everybody looks at that picture and go, "How the hell does he create a naked plate in that picture?" Well, guess what? At about 5:30 at night, the The police come out and they grab – if you look at Times Square, they have these uh, railings uh, that are always on the side and it looks like it's for for various events. The police grabbed the railings and literally started moving people, pushing them to the side and they cleared the entire streets. So imagine in three minutes, all of Times Square – was empty. How'd you, get no- that,
3: how'd you get the cops to do that? I'm <laughs> telling you, everybody thinks, wait she's a second, one, Stephen, did you phone, phone, phone that in? I said, <laughs> I promise you I didn't
0: phone it in. But I'm watching this with my assistant and we look at each other and I go, this might become a news event. This is crazy. And, and then I'm thinking, wait a second, I got to keep shooting because I was getting it was like this unbelievable thing because I was able to get all these photographs with no people in my scene. So it really made for the, the post side to be a, a lot, lot easier than it would have been otherwise. So, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. You Stuff got the naked cowboy in there. Oh you know? uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So
3: when, when you make the edit, you said it's about 50 images? Is
0: yeah, on average, 50 f- images okay. so is what we, we generally use. Right. And like I said, it's about three to four months of yeah. post-work uh, to finish it.
3: And are you shooting other things while you're doing this? You know, I'm, I'm you, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm a relentless photographer. Like yeah. I, I actually have other cameras that I'm, I'll, I'll be shooting with my main camera and I'm seeing stuff, but every so often I'll be like, oh, that's really cool. And I, you know, I, yeah. so I have a, you know, my, I'm right there with
3: my Nikon or whatever, right. just grabbing stuff, you know, what
1: phone it, do you use? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of want to ask a maybe a cheesy interview question and, You know, you do nature, you're a fine art photographer, you've talked about street photography, in your heart of hearts, uh, what kind of photographer are you? Or do you like to put that label on? That's a good question.
0: I just love looking, you know, I love seeing things. And um, so I've never allowed, it's not about um, necessarily what I see, it's just the act of seeing that I love so much. I think it's the excitement of discovery for me. That's what photography is to me. I mean, I started when I took pictures through a microscope when I was 12. And so there was a draw to this idea that I was seeing something new for the first time. And I think it's just uh, evolved into a, a, a constant sense of curiosity. Um, and so I, I don't, I guess, you know, it really, you know, everybody says, you know, well, you shoot this, you shoot that. And um, in the end, I, I really just think it's, uh, its I like looking at, at things that excite me. And I think for me, the the ultimate is when I get to, show you something and hopefully you get as excited as I was when I saw it, you know? So it's, it, it's, that, it's that idea of sharing. I think that's the beauty of photography. I think that's kind of the exciting thing even about like Instagram today is, is the idea that you could just share the way you see something, you know, yeah, and, and, sure. and people have, a, you know, can, you can, everybody can see things, you know, but most people just don't look. And then that's, um, that's really, a uh, a great gift. And something I learned, I, I have a, you know, my mentor is Jay Mazenel. I've been working on a documentary on Jay um, over the last couple of years. I've been doing it. And, uh, you know, that's such an important part of, of some of the lessons that he imparted with me in terms of the idea of just um, looking. You know, we all got to look, take the time to look. Now, no doubt you're going to be taking many more wonderful photographs
1: in the future. Do you think you'd be able to come up with a project as interesting and as, I hate to use the word interesting, but as complex technically as this, because this is more than just going out and taking great pictures. This is an awesome undertaking and, and a process
0: yeah it's i don't, to be honest with you this is probably as complicated as anything i could have ever created i like to say to people it's essentially you know my uh, primordial soup of photography you know it's everything i love about the medium of photography like you ask me what do you like to, yeah. well i if you think about day to night i've i've kind of poured it's everything in in it's yeah. all in there yeah. everything's in there yeah. you know point. what 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 isn't in there that yeah. i that that i could possibly want or or need to uh, have... Is there a fashion model in, so in there? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, there's even, you know, who knows? I, maybe there's, there's, there's always something going on. I also uh, tend to get a lot of brides also, you know, so, uh, that's always a funny element in my yeah. pictures. But yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question, I'm, by nature, I'm sort of, you know, I have this kind of right brain, left brain type thing. So I'm always interested in new technology and things that are evolving and, um so I don't know. I don't know where the next opportunity will come. Now I'm actually exploring the idea of you know, using time and connecting to uh, rising seas. That's my, my next big project that I'm working on and, uh, and potentially how do, we, um, how do we create an experience for people to understand uh, what the future is going to actually look like. So uh, that's going to be a very exciting new body of work that I'm just beginning on.
1: Well, you know, I, I, Steve, and I, I said up front, I've long been a fan of your work. I, I. I uh, you take the craft seriously and you push it to places where no one else has ever been. And, uh, it's, it's just great following your work. It's wonderful having you guys here. Thank Benny, you. Pleasure having you here as thank well. Thank yeah, you so much. My better half. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, in trouble without her. No, two ways <laughs> no about. question about it. Okay. I'd Dad be out on the it. street. <laughs> yeah. If folks <laughs> want to see more of your work, where should they go to take a look?
2: Well, certainly if you're, uh, you know, based on the East Coast in New York, please go to Bryce Wolkowitz Gallery. He always has Stevens' work up. And the museum show, uh, National Geographic in Washington, D.C. is up through the end of April.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, show, please yeah. check that out because we've got uh, the bird uh, images are 12 feet, 12 feet long. That's how oh, long wow, the wow. prints That's are. Awesome. So, and, and it's really an experiential. The, the
3: current uh, issue of National Geographic has this the yes, migratory bird. the March birds. issue. Um, Yes. And this is at the National Geographic Museum, Museum. in Washington, D.C. Right? Yeah. Exactly. and it's up till the 29th of April, right. as Betty said. And we have a book coming up, yes. which is going to be published by Taschen. Yes. out.
1: When's that coming out? In.
3: Which we're scheduled for the fall. Yep.
1: Okay. Yep. I think I'm getting a copy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Another great show. Uh, thank you, Stephen. thank you, Betty. Thank
2: you for having us. And
1: thank you, thank you, you to us. our listeners. If you're not a subscriber, go to wherever you have to go to. Where are we going now these days? We're going to iTunes. We're going to Apple Podcasts, all the places where you could sign up. You know all the places. I repeat them all the time. So that's it. On behalf of John, Jason and myself, thank you so much for joining us today.